24. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would anoint me to preach your word now, God. Lord, that uh, you would fill me afresh with your spirit, that this word would come forth in power and in might, that it would maybe bring conviction but not condemnation. Lord, that you would exalt your name through the preaching of your word, and we may stand in awe of you, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a quick question. How many of you saw The Sound of Freedom? Quite a few. Sound of Freedom, if you don't know, was uh, a movie just put out recently uh, about the social justice issue of child trafficking. Very impactful movie. And just so we know, social justice is the process of making things right or fair for those less fortunate than ourselves. That's what I'm using as the definition for this particular message. And, you know, many issues fall into or under what we would call social justice issues. Uh, it's not just child trafficking. It would be homelessness. Abortion would be considered part of that. Racism. You know, there's all kinds of things. I, I, I will miss what you think is one of those issues, so I'm just going to say and there's a lot of others. Um, and there's different opinions on how to address uh, the different social justice issues. Um, you know, uh, people will say, well, this particular political party doesn't care about listed, homeless, whoever. And what I found is that you have two different approaches many times to how the issue needs to be addressed. And both sides argue the other one doesn't care. But the bottom line is they're trying to address the issue from different perspectives, from different focuses. And, um, but what we need to do, I think we all would agree, is this is that there hasn't been much progress. We've thrown billions of dollars at these issues, and there just really hasn't been much progress. Um, what I want to present today is the primary truth that biblically we see this, whoa, we see this, that uh, true social justice begins with hearts transformed by the gospel. That's where true justice starts, in hearts transformed by the gospel. Well, we're talking about Amos today. He is the oldest, probably, they think, of the 12 minor prophets. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the 12 minor prophets, actually, in the Hebrew Bible, were under one book, okay? And um, they were listed uh, somehow, some way. They were broken apart. We really don't know how or what was the reasons for that. But one of the things that we see in them, all 12, is this that they had what we would call theme unity in, within each one of these minor prophet books. If you've been reading along with us so far, you say, well, they're basically saying the same thing. Well, that's true in one sense in that they're talking about a, a particular sin in a nation of Israel and, uh, specifically, and then there was punishment that was coming, but there was always a word, always uh, a promise of restor restoration. And that's the pattern that we see in these 
old uh, in the minor prophets, yet each one is specific to the time and the people that they were addressed to. And that's true with Amos as well. Take a look at the outline of the book of Amos. Uh, first of all, chapters 1 and 2, judgments against the nations. It's interesting if you go to a map and you look at how it's laid out. He names all these different countries and it's like they're circling Israel and they're moving in. So the bullseye is Israel. Or, and then in chapters 3 through 6, prophecies against Israel and its leaders. Chapter 7 through 9, verse 10, visions of divine retributions and the day of the Lord. That's something consistent that we see in the minor prophets, God was really speaking through them about the coming day of the Lord. And finally, in chapters, chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, is the promises of the future eternal messianic kingdom. And, and that is where we find Jesus in the book of Amos. In those last four verses, it's a picture of Christ coming and establishing his kingdom. And we also know him as the judge. So when we're looking for Jesus in Amos, it's in those last few verses of the, the whole book and throughout just the judgment coming. So that's where we find Christ within the book of Amos. Now, Amos was probably written somewhere around 760 to 753 B.C. And here's the, here is society in Israel that he's addressing. Israel had unparalleled prosperity, not since the time of Solomon. Were they so prosperous and wealthy? Life was good. Everything, man, it looked, it looked phenomenal on the outside. But spiritually and morally, the nation of Israel was absolutely corrupt. They were rotten on the inside. Take a look at just some of the verses where, in God's Word, He's addressing some of the issues. In Amos 2, 4a. They rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. Chapter 2, 6b through 8. They sell the, right, sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profane. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Chapter 5, 10 through 12. They hate him who repro reproves at the gate. Probably talking about Amos himself there. And they abhor him who speaks the truth. You trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him. And you have built houses hewn of hewn stone, planted pleasant vineyards. You steal from the poor and give it to the rich. And you make big fancy houses. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflicted the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy at the gate. And chapter 8, 4 through 6, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end and deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. Outwardly, if you read in this book, outwardly Israel was very, very religious. They brought their sacrifices regularly. They tithed consistently. They, they brought um, 
They brought sacrifices and, you know, they were comfortable. They were comfortable. Uh, they wanted to look good to everyone on the outside. They were very religious people. But on the inside, what was happening in their society, they were immoral. Father and son sleeping with the same woman. They were idolaters. Says they even brought the sacrifices of idols into the Lord's temple. They were greedy. They'd steal from the poor even. They were so greedy. They coveted everything. They coveted bigger houses and bigger whatever. Everything was about me and my comfort. No matter the cost to anyone else. They were unjust. Their balances were not even. They stole from people. People didn't even realize it, it sounds like. Their leaders were corrupt and uncaring. And they oppressed the poor. They used the poor. They neglected the poor. And what we see is that God's deep commitment to justice leads him to require society to also maintain a commitment to do right by all people. And they weren't doing that. Those were his people. So what God did is he sent this prophet. His name was Amos. He was a poor rancher and a farmer. He was probably uneducated. He was definitely not part of the priestly line. But God sent this old farmer to these people that were living high and mighty. He gave them a message. He was a farmer from the southern kingdom, from Judah. But he had a message of judgment for the people in the northern kingdom, Israel. And that message specifically dealt with God bringing judgment because of their oppression and exploitation of the poor. But you see, the problem was Israel is in prosperous times. Life's good. Surely God can't be judging us. Everything's good. Look at how everything's flowing. I mean, we're richer now than we've ever been since the days of Solomon. God can't be bringing judgment during this time. Plus, there's another thing. God wouldn't bring judgment to us because we're God's people, right? We're God's people. Oh, Amos, Amos, Amos. You silly man. Look at God is blessing us. We're prospering. Besides, we're God's people. He's not going to judge us for this kind of small sin. And uh, that's part of the problem, isn't it? is that God had a call on them as his people to be a witness to the Gentile world of his kindness and greatness, of who he was. He's a just God, a God who loves the poor, takes care of the needy. They weren't doing that. They weren't doing that at all. They weren't a witness of who God was to the community around them. They were just living self-centered, focused on their own comfort. That's what they were doing.
You see, through Amos, and we know him as the social justice prophet, the Lord pointed out Israel's hypocrisy. He said, you're my people. You're supposed to be like me. Is this what I look like? Because you see, what happens is this, that true worship always leads to justice, to righteousness, and to loving your neighbor. And so God was about to deal with his people. Take a look at the verses we read. Amos chapter 5, going back a few verses, 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I, know, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice flow down like rivers and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You know what was the result of Amos bringing this heavy warning about coming judgment on Israel? Absolutely nothing. They didn't listen to him. As a matter of fact, they said, How dare you? You come into our country. You're from the south. You're from Judah. Don't come here and tell us what we should do. Don't come up here and tell us about our sin. You got plenty down there. Nothing happened. He preached this strong word, and there was no repentance. And 50 years later, God fulfilled his promise, and the nation of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians. You see, the measure of Amos' success is not, is not in how the people responded then, but how we will respond today. Because all of God's word is written for his people. And I have to say this as I continue on because I can see heavy hearts already just looking at your faces. The role of the prophet was to do this, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. You know, many Christians today are like Israel in 722 B.C. They give lip service to God, yet pay little mind to the people created in his image. It's all about me. It's all about my comfort. Selfishness and addiction to comfort make Christians neglect the poor, the needy, they're indifferent to those needs around them. They're hardened even against. They, you know what? The reason they're homeless is because they don't want to work. And you know what? That might be the case. Israel didn't have a free lunch. Did you know that? They had to work. Even the poor were working for what they had. There wasn't a free handout, so I get that. Like I said, the political parties will argue this is the way to deal with this issue, and other party will say this, and both accuse each other of not caring. And I'm going to say this about the needs of the less fortunate. Because if I say the word poor, here's what we think. Well, I'm not really poor, but I'm not rich. 
And the rich are the ones who are supposed to take care of this. So you see, that conveniently causes us to not be in that category. So I'm going to use the term less fortunate because we can all know people in our lives who are less fortunate than us, who are in need, whatever that might be. And what we can find in our own lives, in our own examining our hearts is this. Often how we address this issue is reflected in the handling of our finances and in activity that is related to social justice issues. Take a look at God's word. Micah 6 verse 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? 1 John 4, 2 through 20, 20 through 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Very convicting for me in many ways, this message. Let me ask you, what if I were to look at all your spending in the last year, where you spent your money, where you gave your money? What does it say about your spiritual goals for your finances? You know, that's the, where the rubber meets the road, right? What if we just brought our every, every penny we spent and was examined? What would it show about our hearts in this area? About the work of the Lord? About helping the needy, preaching the gospel? What would it say to us? What would it say to the world about who God is? That's even a bigger question, isn't it? What would our spending and our giving say to the world about our God? I don't know. I have to stand before God for mine, and I can tell you I had to repent this week. What would it say? You know, we'll help our family real quickly, but what about a stranger? You know, what about a stranger? Because that's what the Bible talks about, helping strangers, especially those in the body of Christ, as it says. But what about strangers? Or is it just kin, blood? What does our finances say about us? and who God is, especially towards those who are less fortunate than us. Another thing that we have a tendency to do is this. We pray about the issues, right? And we make sure we inform others about our positions and our beliefs. And we post about it all day long, don't we? But we all do it without action. I'll never forget about 10 years ago, this young man that came back here, and uh, 
he was telling me how the church had failed in so many social justice issues. And he went on and on, and, you know, the church should be doing this, and the church should be doing that, and this is where they fall short. And I remember I looked at him in the eyes, and I asked him one question, and I asked each of us the same question. I remember looking at him, and I said, so what are you doing about it? And his eyes dropped, and he walked away. Because it was all talk. Ah, well, that's my job, Dan, to inform people. That's all great. If you have have a burden on your heart for a social issue, I want you to know that that God probably has given you that burden. But you need to do more than talk about it. You need to do more than post about it. We need to do both. We need to pray, and we need to post about it, but we need to do something about it. You see, there's an action there. It's not just talk. It's not just talk. That's why I put in capital letters, do justice. It's an action. I look at the things that are happening now in the world and in the Christian realm, and I just think, we're doing a lot of talking. We're doing a lot of talking about social issues and how this is really important to me. And my question to you, whatever issue that is for you, so what are you doing about it? What are you doing? Did God burden your heart when you went and you saw the film Sound of Freedom? What are you doing about it? You know, and I get this. There are so many issues you can be overwhelmed. I totally get that. Have you asked God what is that one issue that for you God has laid on your heart that you're going to do more than talk about it? You're going to step out and you're going to do something about it. What is that issue? That social justice issue that God has laid on your heart. We need to pray. We need to do something about it. I want to commend some people in this body. I'm not going to call out the names. But you know, there's some people that God has burdened about a social justice issue, in particular the abortion issue, and they're doing something about it. You've signed up to be a safe family, and you're doing something about it. God laid it on your heart, and you said, you know what, I I can't just talk about it. I can't just post about it. I can't just tell everybody what they should be doing. I need to do something. And I'll say another one. It's not just safe families, but it's Hope's Door, another organization that's starting to form to help young mothers who are pregnant and need help. You see, that's what it's about, brothers and sisters. I don't want to bring condemnation, but conviction by the Spirit of God is a good thing. And I think sometimes we as Christians need to live more like Christians instead of the world. Because true love for God manifests in love and concern for people made in His image. Those less fortunate than us. We've got a lot of needs. So who's responsible for taking care of all of your needs? Husbands, I know the weight of feeling like it's me. But we need to understand that it is God. And God has been faithful to my family for 35 years. Ways that you you think, well, we can't make it. And God has been faithful. Why? Because he is the one who provides for us. And so we trust him.
and I challenge all of us to trust him rather than thinking, it's all on me. I'm going to step out in faith, God. I'm going to trust you. This is something you laid on my heart, and you laid it on my heart for a purpose, that I would do something about it. So, Lord, show me what i got to do about it. You see, justice and compassion naturally flow from hearts in love with Jesus because that's the heart of our Savior. That's the heart of our Savior. He loves those. The, the, the poor are close to the heart of the Lord. The needy, those less fortunate, are close to the heart of the Lord. And so he calls us to be his hands and his feet and to be a part of him having a di- making a difference in society. So let me ask you, are your financial gifts and spending, are your actions consistent with the Lord's heart towards the less fortunate? There's some things that need to change in my life. I need to talk less maybe and do more. Because you see, God's mercy and grace and the gospel is transformative. It doesn't leave us the same. It's not just a change in our thoughts about who God is. God transforms us personally. He changes us, desires that we should have that we didn't have, he gives us. And desires that we did have that we shouldn't have, he starts stripping away. And you see, the gospel is transforming to us personally, but even in a broader sense, societally. You say, how can you say that? Because I read the New Testament. That's why. And you look at what's happening in the New Testament. That is evidence that the New Te- in the New Testament, that communities were affected by the gospel. They were affected economically. Remember the guys making the statues to the, the little statues to the, the goddess? And they said, we're running out of money here. All these people are becoming Christians and our, it's affecting our business. Right? What was happening? The gospel. Christians were living like Christians. They were sharing the gospel. People were getting saved. It affected their economy. It affected their religion. Their temples were emptying because there was a truth in the gospel that people were hungry for. Politically, it affected the society. It shook the religious leaders. We're losing our power to this thing called Christianity. You see, the gospel is transformative personally and to society around us. And only the gospel has the power to change lives, which then can change society and cultures around us. It's the gospel. The gospel is the answer. And Christians living as if that is real, that it has transformed them, That is what changes society. You can't legislate social justice. That's our problem. That's what we try to do. We try to legislate social justice. We try to make a a new law. Okay, we're going to make this a law, that you have to do this. Or we just need to maybe enforce some of the laws that we already have. You see, that's how you make these changes. That's the problem. 
We're going to legislate out all these social justice issues, pass another law, do this. That doesn't work. I mean, we've been trying that, right? As I said earlier, we've, we've worked at that. We passed this law and that law and that law. And what happens is that nothing is working. The problem is getting worse. The issues aren't being dealt with. And the reason being is because social change must begin in the heart of men. It has to begin in the heart of men. Take a look at God's word again. Amos 5, 24. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, it's about man's heart. You can pass all the laws you want. You can do all the picketing you want. You can post whatever you want to do. But the bottom line is this, that evil in the hearts of men will cause them to break the laws. Evil in the hearts of men will cause them to do injustice to those, to use the poor. They were, in, in Israel's time, they were not only stealing from the poor. They were using false weights when the poor would come to buy so much bread. They'd use false weights so they were getting less than what they were paying for. They were actually then at times taking the poor and selling them. And the purpose was so that they could have a bigger house. It says it's hewn with stone and bigger vineyards. They were using and abusing those less fortunate. So now we're going to pass a law and that stops? See, that's what we think. That's our struggle today, is we think we'll just pass a law. We'll pass this law and it'll all change, right? Because why? I mean, you have to. It's a law. And man's heart is dark and evil, and he's looking for a way to benefit himself and hurt others. Maybe not to hurt others, but it's all about me. Benefit me. And that unspoken part is, well, others won't be blessed. In so many ways. Brothers and sisters, true social justice begins with hearts that are transformed by the gospel. That's where it starts. And it has to start in the house of the Lord because we're his people. And the gospel has already transformed us. We've gone from death to life. We've grown from being God's enemies to adopted in his family. We've been transformed. And we need to live in a way that honors our God and proclaims who he is to the community around us. And that is in areas especially for those who are less fortunate than us. So my challenge is this. We know the answer is the gospel. What are we doing about it? personally in our own lives and what are we doing practically out there in the community we have the answer we have the answer and I believe in my heart of hearts that if it worked before like it did in the New Testament it can work today maybe it's just in little pockets maybe it's just that neighbor who lost his job Maybe it's just that one person that you know that is in need. 
I don't know, but I'm just hoping in God. And I'm believing the gospel is big enough that it can, first of all, affect me. That I can put my hope in my supplier, Lord Jesus. He's the provider. I can put my hope in him and trust that he's going to take care of me and my family. And that I will do what he wants me to do by his grace and his mercy. He will provide all I need. And so I challenge us all today. We have the answer. Let's be a part of the solution as well, right? Let's pray. Lord, it is, uh, it is a hard message. But God, I pray that if the enemy brought any condemnation, that you would silence his mouth. He is the accuser of the brethren, Lord. But God, help us not to be like Israel and have ears that are dull of hearing if you're working in our hearts and you're bringing a conviction. Lord, we want to repent and we want to walk in obedience to you. Lord, there are so many needs. We can be overwhelmed by them, but I pray that you would show us that one area maybe where you're calling us to, to make a difference for your glory. God, do this so that this lost world, this messed up world around us, would see that the solution to their problems is not in government, is not in a law, but is found in this risen Savior, glorified and seated on the right hand of the Father. And hope is found in Him and Him alone. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand.